let, let me back up to where uh, we were last last week. Just kind of review chapter two, the end of chapter two. The believers like stood in this secure secure understanding against the false teachings of the what we call antichrist, the people that were against Christ coming in and teaching. And there were these sources of strength. One, they had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the same thing that you have. You have this anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you believe, if you believe Jesus is the Savior, you're anointed. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And they had made this personal commitment, he said in verses 24 and 25, about uh, the Christian message that John had previously taught them. They'd made a commitment to that, and he's reminding them to stick to that. And then just like us, they live in the union of Jesus Christ in verse 28. If, uh, if I were to like, uh, let me see, uh, Aiden, I'm going to call you out. Stand up a second. He's like, what? Uh, does everybody in, in the room know who Aiden's dad is? It's right in front of him. Yeah, it's right in front of him. Now I'm not going to call you out. But uh, why do you know this is Aiden's dad? Because he hangs out with them every week. He's here. He lives with them. It's just the, the physical things that you see as you come to Levner and you see Aiden being here with his dad. Uh, so what's, what's Aiden going to be like when he grows up? That's yet to be seen. Uh, do we fully know what his future is? No, we don't know what his future is. And the only thing that you know about Aiden is what you see. That's all you know. But here's what I know about Aiden, is that he loves Jesus. And he's eternal. And there's a spiritual side of Aiden that you don't see physically. And this is, okay, you can sit down now, Aiden. Thanks for letting me use you. You don't see the spiritual side. We don't see that in each other. We just see the physical. We see what we do and things like that. It was like I was saying to uh, my high school students uh, Wednesday night to study God. How many of you ever studied God? You can't study God. Think about that for a second. You, you can't... You, you can study the Word of God. You can study His creation. But how, how do you study something that is spiritual? It's being. And I think that that's one of the biggest issues that we have in the church is that we see each other as these physical beings doing things, yet there's a side that we can't see that we have to affirm and we have to know. And if we can walk around and see each other in this spiritual sense, it changes the way that we behave with each other. It changes the way that we see each other. To see you as holy, to see you as righteous, the righteousness of God, to see you as perfect, to see you as totally forgiven, to see April holy, righteous, redeemed child of God. He says in verse 1, he says, see, look, pay attention to, 
concern oneself with the this right here. Just understand, experience. See what great love, what great love, a sacrificial love. He says, the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. Not only are we called the children of the God, children of God, but we are. We claim it. We have to, like, live it. If, you, if I could just, like, get this pounded into you somehow, some way, that you are a child of God. This is really what John's saying to the church. We say all the time, what's the Scripture say to us? What's it speaking to us? What's about... He, he's literally writing this church in Crete that's getting confused with the false teachers. He's just trying to affirm them in what they already know. So he's affirming them in their identity of who they are. All who believe in Jesus Christ actually are truly children of God. That's pretty amazing. And if you've become a... Listen to this. If you've become a child of God... There's nothing that can change that. You don't go in and out of that. Once you're a child of God, you are a child of God. I don't care what kind of season you're in, what you're doing, you walk away. You can, you can even deny him. You can deny him later on. But once you become a child of God, you're a child of God. And nothing changes that. So we're told to see, just to see this faith, it's the reality of who we are, God's love that has been so freely given to us. He says the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. You're weird. You're weird to the world because they don't know him and you're a child of his. You're weird to the world. He says, dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. What Aiden is here on earth is not what has been revealed later on. It says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In this case, John is talking about behavior. Like, we're not purifying ourselves in our hearts because our hearts have already been purified. He did that when his blood was poured out on the cross. And the moment that you believed, your heart was made good. Your heart was made pure. That's who you are. God has given the believers a new heart, and a new nature. You have one nature. You have one nature, and it's good. I know you've been told all your life that you've been given a sinful nature. And when you believe that you have a good nature, and then National Lampoon wants us to believe that they go to battle with each other. Animal house. The angel and the devil. Well, let me tell you this. That old nature's gone. When Christ died and it says, I was crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I was literally crucified. If I was crucified, what in me died? Something in me had to die. And it was my sinful nature. My sinful nature is gone. It's not natural for me to sin. I still sin. I still sin. I get it. But it's not natural for me. 
And so I only have one nature, and it's a good nature. You have, as believers, as Christians, you have the power to live a pure and righteous life every day. And it it doesn't come out of following rules and regulations either. It literally comes out of him. Romans 8.23 says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from this sin of suffering. We too wait with eager hope for this day when God will give us our full rights as this adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Like, I'm going to get out of this earth suit someday, and I won't even have to think about sin. Right now, I have to deal with it because of all the stuff that goes on up here in my head. And I have to deal with it, but I have, I have the ability to deal with it because I have a Holy Spirit in me and I have the mind of Christ. I can deal with it. I'm not enslaved to it. I, I, I have the ability to overcome it. Philippians 3.21 in the New Living says this, He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which we will bring everything under his control. Like, it's going to get better than this. I, I just sit there and think about the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus just like, you know, uh, asking his disciples to step and pray. And he's, he's like sweating blood, that just the pressure that's on me. So says, Lord, remove this cup from me. I believe that's what he's talking about. He's like, I want out of this earth suit. It's like, like G- Jesus got hammered. He got hammered with the same thing that you get hammered with. That's the beauty of having a, a God who would come down here in human form and walk this earth and live life like us and be able to grieve like us and be able to be tempted like us, yet be perfect. That's, I have a Savior that can sympathize with me. He knows how hard it is to walk on this fallen earth because he did it, and he did it perfectly. Verse 4, it says, everyone who commits, if you go to the New American Standard, it says practices. Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Uh, So what he's saying there is that unbelievers, they practice a sinful behavior. It's just natural for them to behave that way. I would expect them to do those things. This sinful behavior is total and complete chaos when compared to what we have in this peaceful fruit of the Spirit. Like, I think what I have versus what the world has doesn't even come close. I can sort things out and figure things, why things happen. As a, as a chaplain, you go through all sorts of terrible, terrible incidents. And you go in, and you go in the house, and... I can explain exactly why it happened because it's a spiritual thing. But that's not what they're ready for. It's not, they're, they're not ready for that. And I don't want to explain it away. I want to sympathize with them. It says in verse 5, You know that he, has, he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. So in contrast to the Old Testament sacrifices which only acted as a cover for sin. Remember, they used the word atonement for sin. It just covered. 
the blood of the bulls and goats that they sacrificed, literally because the whole uh, life was in the blood. Blood was necessary because life was in the blood. It was an atonement for sin. It just covered. Jesus actually took away all the sin. Like, if this happened 2,000 years ago, and he took all, away all the sin, he took it before you were even on this earth. That's crazy to think about. But you didn't receive it until you believed. You didn't receive it until you believed. But now that you believe, uh, you're totally forgiven. It's all gone. He took it away. Never to be remembered again. Don't think that you're going to go to heaven and stand up there in judgment and they're going to unroll all your sins because there, there are none. He, he's dealt with it. That's the good news that we have. It says in verse 6, Everyone who remains in him does not sin, does not keep on sinning is what it says in the NIV. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Everybody who continues to sin. So really what he's saying right here is this. It's not natural for you to sin anymore. And that's because you remain in him. For those that aren't in him, it's natural for them to sin. For me to sit here and say that I don't sin would be a lie. And don't forget who he's writing to. He's writing to this church in Crete because they're, they're there with the Gnostics and the Gnostics are saying that they don't sin anymore. There's no sin in them. And so he's literally saying, if you go to 1 John 1, the, the first chapter, it says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. He's arguing with the Gnostics at this point. It's not natural for me to sin, but I still sin. It's natural for you to sin if you're an unbeliever. And then he says, verse 7, he uses this term a lot. He says, little children... And remember, little children, they're the ones that understand forgiveness. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Why is that? Because they have a new nature of the redeemed. That's why. You have this new nature. Verse 8, it says, the one who commits sin, the one who practices sin, is, the one, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Even before Genesis chapter 3, when the fall happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. It says in verse 9, everyone who has been born of God does not practice sin or continue in sin, NIV says, because his seed remains in him and he is not able to sin. He just can't go on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, he's clarifying how many times can he say this, whereas unbelievers practice sinfulness, believers practice righteousness. It's natural for me to practice righteousness. It just comes out. The more I know God, the more I'm able to walk by his spirit, and I'm able to do right things. It does, however, mean that they're practicing how to live righteously as opposed to practicing how to sin. I, I practice living righteously. Again, that is, it just naturally happens. Make, 
He says, make every effort. Make every effort. What's the effort for me? To rest from my own works. Like, like quit trying to manipulate things, Rusty. Quit trying to do things yourself. Let the Spirit work through you. Let the Spirit speak through you. Let the Spirit do this in you. And I literally have to like work at that. Trusting the Spirit. Resting in the Spirit. And that's because I have fundamentally been changed at the core of who I am in my identity. We've been set free from this old sinful nature. I'm not enslaved to it anymore. Romans 6, 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. You don't have to succumb to it. Ephesians 4.22 says, To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. That sinful nature is gone. Took it off at the cross. Then we get back to verse 10. It says, This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. (laughs) That's just putting it out there. There's a difference between the two. Whoever does, do, does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. If you love Christ, you love Christians. This does not mean that we like everyone, but it means that we love them and that we affirm the Christian's identity in Christ. In verse 11, he says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, go back to Genesis, Cain killed his brother Abel. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. These are choices that were made based upon what they believed. That's it. At this point, Abel was only credited with righteousness. You go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Remember, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram had credit for righteousness because he believed in the Old Testament. You sitting in this room have been made righteous. Abram had credit, you are made. What's the difference? The cross. The cross was between Abram and us. Jesus was poured out. Abram is now righteous because the cross occurred. The blood was poured out. He's righteous now. But back then, he was just credited. It says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Hmm. It's becoming more and more obvious, isn't it? (laughs) It's crazy right now. And I don't need to go into all the politics and the world history of what's going on right now. But don't be surprised. says it right there. Do not be surprised by what's going on. We know that we have passed from death to life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Again, your sinful nature has passed away. And see, the new has come. You have a new nature. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and our sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. So simply put, loving Christians is just a sign that we've been truly saved. And I, I go this far. I love non-Christians. How else in the world are they going to know about Jesus if we don't love them? I don't love what they do. I don't love what they believe. I don't love their values and morals. But I can love them. How in the world are they supposed to know Jesus if we don't show them who Jesus is in our, in our own actions? It's how this new life just manifests in love for people. It's that simple. We say it all the time in here. Love Jesus and love people. It's the core issue of humanity, and our whole world is struggling with it right now. We're having to deal with polar opposites. Everything's divided. Everything's in half. Everybody's fighting. But you have a new nature, and it's simply to love. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Again, he's going back to Cain and Abel, and this is an identity issue. He's identifying those with sin, those who are not believers. It's just call them what it is. Remember a few weeks ago when we were going to make name tags about all your sins and just like, let's wear our sins on here. Let's, he's doing that right here. He's identifying, he's identifying their behavior. Paul has a history of murdering Christians. The thief on the cross... He had a rather difficult past, but both experienced a nature change through the grace of Christ. They both experienced it. It says, verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I know you think about that verse. Would I actually do that? Would I actually do that? Well, I think it all depends on the situation. There's, there's no atoning value in this like Christ's death for us. But it is kind of the supreme proof of who we have become in Christ if we are able to do that, to lay down our life for our brother and sister. Christians are to receive this servant love of Jesus and just transmit it to the other believers. And that, that doesn't mean having poor relational boundaries where we never say no. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that we have the chance to love one another just as Christ loved us. Verse 17, it says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. He had just put a roof on this family's house across the world. That's agape love. The message, I love what the message says here in that same verse. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, 
but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. Zing. Love is to be tangible. Love is not simply words, but it's actions. I have a spirit inside of me that constantly tells me how to behave and how to impact people's lives. Do this, do that. And I can listen to it or I can shut it down. I can cause it to disappear. It's my choice. But it's more natural for me to help people. This is why John affirms that God is greater than our hearts. He, his realities transcend any negative emotion or flavor of shame that we experience. Verse 19, it says, This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. In the NIV, it actually says, This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. I can set my heart at rest. I can rest in him. Verse 20 it says, whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever we pass judgment, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all those things. You know what I'm talking about. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. The message says this, and friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. When you figure this thing out that you're not condemned and there's no shame or guilt, then you can actually be free of that and you can actually be bold for God. You can do the things that he desires for you to do. In verse 22, and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Oh, we keep his commands. Here we go. This is not naming and claiming certain things in life. God is, it's, the, it's what Phil was talking about. God is answering our prayers, and it's based upon his new covenant commands. Believe in Jesus and love one another. If we do that, you know what my prayer requests are? You know, for the Rangers to win the World Series, that's my selfish request. But if I'm in tune with God, I could care less about the Texas Rangers. I mean, that's an earthly, worldly thing. The things that I'm really praying about are the things of God. Jim, I'm praying for you. So you can just rest in Jesus and trust him. He wants us to believe more fully and to love relentlessly. And... Here's the great thing is he's always going to help us grow and to mature in our faith in these ways. It's God's will for us in Christ. And then the last couple of verses here. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. If we've believed in Christ, we are one with the Holy Spirit. He's literally poured his love into our new hearts. 
and therefore made us to keep his commandments perpetually with our new natures. Like, if you're worried about a list of commandments and rules and regulations, you don't have to because the Spirit's going to align with exactly that. It never contradicts God's rules and laws. And, but I have a Spirit now that leads me. I don't have to memorize the Ten Commandments. I don't have to. It wasn't even for me in the first place. It's for the Jews. But I've been gifted. I've been gifted with the spirit that causes me to love people. Not to love the world, the worldly things, but to love the people of the world. No matter if they're believers or not. I'll probably love you greater, but I will definitely show them who Jesus is. And that is what John is trying to remind this church in Crete. Whatever the Gnostics are saying to you, don't buy it. You've got to know who you are in Christ. He's given you a new heart. That message works for today in 2023. Father, I pray that um, you would cause us to see that we are a new creation because of what you did in us. And as we claim that, and as we live in that, as we walk in that, that we just be a beacon to this world, that people want what we have, a new heart, love for Jesus, love for people. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.